Our national conversation about conversations about race is brought to you by The Rachel Maddow Show on MSNBC. Watch Rachel as she breaks down the big headlines for the local threads that tie them all together. It's The Rachel Maddow Show, covering America one story at a time. Weeknights at 9 Eastern, only on MSNBC. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to our national conversation about conversations about race. This is that bi-weekly multiracial podcast where we discuss the ways we can't talk, we don't talk, we would rather not talk, but intermittently, fitfully, embarrassingly do talk about culture, identity, politics, power, and privilege in our pre-post-yet-still-very-racial America. You could say all that or just call this show About Race. I'm Baratunde Thurston, back from quite an extended absence and I'm here in the Panoply Studios in New York City with my co-discussants, Raquel Cepeda. Hola. What up? What up? So nice to see nice you Nice to see person. you in the flesh, not in Slack, not good. in the text message. Thank you. I'm still getting used to you without glasses. Like, it's still like I'm expecting to see you walking in here with, like, at least, like, not just fashion, you know, like, yeah. without any prescription. Everybody's freaked out by is having a hard time adjusting except for me. It feels like the most natural thing in the world to not have to adjust these sliding plastic and glass things on my face. So, so. you don't miss wearing glasses? I do not miss them at all. Oh, wow. I'm relieved to get my peripheral vision back and to be able to read while there's, like, while it's raining. Like, to be able wow. to read street signs in the rain and not have fogginess when I emerge from the subway. It's what liberation is, what my ancestors <laughs> fought for. Uh, we got Tanner Colby in the house. What's up, co-discussing Tanner? I have a small piece of advice for listeners. Yes. My son is turning two okay. next Congratulations. week. And if you ever are buying a gift for a friend's toddler, do not buy them a musical instrument. Okay. My son is now the proud owner of a xylophone Yeah. that has been driving me up the wall for two days. So just small note, piece of advice. Other than that, everything's great. Good, good. And we have a special guest with us in the studio. It's a rare four-person literal roundtable, New York Times magazine writer, Jay Kang. What's up? Hey, did you, did you get LASIK? I got a version of LASIK called PRK. Oh. Uh, so, so listen up, listeners. Uh, we have a new TV show to review in today's episode, and we're going to talk about the talk about refugees from Syria. I would like to do a personal check-in. Tanner gave us a little gift of what gifts not to give your child. Raquel, what's going on in your life you want to share? Well, last night I uh, felt very honored to be able to volunteer again for Haymakers for Hope. Mostly white-collar boxers fight each other, mm. to, and they raise money to knock out cancer, and they, they raised about 400000 last night, so what? that was good. I feel very blessed and very lucky that my—well, I call him my brother, but he's my cousin. So he lives in the Bataclan in that area where that—and where, oh, where uh, he was in, okay, in and I couldn't find him, yeah. yeah. And I'm just so happy that him and his family are okay, even though my condolences go out to everybody who lost loved ones yeah. in, in that those attacks, and also in Beirut the day before. But yeah, I was really happy and relieved, and I'm— I think he's on his way to New York, so I can't wait to just hold him and hug him. You're never and he let gives him go. me and he gives me every gift he's ever bought Marceau. Mm-hmm. It's been he asked his wife buy the loudest thing you can find in the store. <laughs> <laughs> so I empathize with, with, with where you're coming from, Tanner. Yeah, xylophone with symbols attached. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jay, what's going on in your world? You want to share anything with the people? I don't know. Last night I had this weird moment where I realized that maybe the cord cutting wasn't working for me because I recently got rid of cable. Yeah. And so I had the NBA package, and I. You can't watch national TNT broadcast games. And so I had taken my friend's cable password and was watching the Clippers 
Warriors game on my phone at like 12.45 in the morning, like sitting on the couch, like trying to figure it out. And it's like 45 seconds behind Twitter. I'm looking at Twitter. And I was just like, I was like, this is not really worth it. You know, like yeah. I'm stealing from my friend. You know, I didn't tell her that I had done this and I can't see what's happening. I'm so frustrated the whole time. And like, you know, like actually maybe I should just set aside a little bit of money so I can at least get like basic cable so that I don't, that I'm not going through this. Like and the whole, you know, I, and I think that whole like satisfaction that I used to have was like, oh, I've, I, you know. You know, I'm not paying any money to James Dolan, and uh, like, <laughs> it was so, personal. Yeah, right? yeah. Like I, I, I yeah. witted them, I've outsmarted them. Yeah, it's not it's not as satisfying anymore. When Turns it's out like, it's yeah. more expensive. The shame costs more. The shame costs more. Yeah, than the eighty bucks a yeah. month. Uh, anything else going on in your world you want to share other than the no, just loud toddlers. <laughs> That's it. Everything's good. Good, good. Uh, I am recently returned from a journey. I took a flight for the first time since starting at the Daily Show. I flew back to New York and have not been in a plane since then until a week ago, to join this cruise conference thing called Summit, which I just don't advise people get on cruise ships, ever. They are floating monuments to environmental degradation and labor exploitation. But the, the content track was beautiful, and it, it mitigated a lot of the negatives. Uh, Harry Belafonte spoke with John Legend about being an artist and an activist. Uh, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter gave this like great, just he was part of a dope panel of people talking about making change. And I got to put together a comedy show with some uh, people who I would love to, to shout out. Bassem Youssef from Egypt, Mo Amr, Rami Youssef, no relation to Bassem, Retta from Parks uh, and Rec, and Hari Kondabolu uh, of the, the Flying Kondabolu brothers and uh, the Das Racist Connect. That's his brother is a part of that. Oh, um, yeah. Hari? Oh, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. He, was, uh, he and I were college friends, weirdly. I also just found out I've been mispronouncing his name for about a decade. Yeah. It's Hari. I've been saying Hari. Mm. Um, so if you ever meet Hari Kondabolu, that's how you say it. And that is our personal <laughs> check-in. <laughs> so we have two topics to address formally today. Let's start with the one that's scaring everybody in America to the point that uh, the president has to go on Twitter to remind us of U.S. values. Refugees, they're coming to get us. Or are they? Tanner, what's going on with this story? They are not coming to get us. Of the hundreds of thousands of refugees admitted since 9-11, Three have proven to have any terror links, and they were very weak, and we got them all. So that we can dismiss okay. as hysteria from the beginning. But that hasn't stopped a lot of politicians from posturing on this issue. We got over half of governors saying they won't take any Syrian refugees in their states. We got Donald Trump saying Muslims need to register and wear identification, possibly. We have the mayor of Roanoke calling for basically internment camps reminiscent of the Japanese. Some would just say Roanoke is an internment camp. Like, how are you <laughs> How are you from such a place, like, calling for so much? Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Oh, the last, the most ridiculous, well, most ridiculous being a relative term, uh, Bush and Cruz calling for some kind of religious test right. that we only let in Christian refugees as opposed to Muslim. And, of course, this is now you get the, the backlash to that from right-thinking Americans. Uh, you referenced Obama on Twitter saying this is un-American. He said, offensive and contrary to American values. My Facebook feed is full of all my Facebook friends saying, hey, Trump and Carson, look at the Statue of Liberty. We got, well, give us your tired and unwashed, so those are values, and so on and so on. But it strikes me that we've been having these nativist panics since the country was born. Mm -hmm. It's this constant tension and push and pull of this country. You have waves of immigrants come in. You have nativist pushback. Should we call this nativist panic un-American, or should we say that it is, in fact, very American? Oh. How do you define America, and were there nativist 
Hispanics before when they were actually indigenous people here, and they should have been actually right. There should have been a nativist panic they among, among the native Americans. <laughs> Yo, it's our panic. Illegal <laughs> immigration. Exactly. Name this panic for us, and we don't even get to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's messed up. Uh, <laughs> Somebody should have invented this for us. But is this a natural condition? Of being the kind of country, should we should we be outraged at these people and calling them cowards and racists, or should we be acknowledging that okay, it's like a fifty year flood; it just seems to happen, so it's part of our national character. But when the flood hits, you still need to do everything you can to minimize the damage, and you put up the sandbags, and you try to drain the sewage systems, and you let people know it's coming, and you you take reasonable precautions. And so, even if it is a natural cyclical thing, our standard shouldn't be. This is truly American. Our standard should be the Constitution says a lot of beautiful things that are not realized in what it is to be American, but we aim for it or we say we aim for it. And so even if the realness is that America is just an ugly place filled with hateful, ignorant people most of the time who occasionally do something beautiful and non-tragic, that's not like a good marketing campaign. And that doesn't inspire people to be great. (laughs) So I would rather believe that we motivate people by appealing to that positiveness of the president's tone of like, look, this is what it means to be in this country. Here are some of the facts. And and like we did with the Ebola nonsense that was happening to rather than, oh, yeah, this is just what we do. Like, we're just hateful people. So, yeah, sorry, Syria. Jay, what do you think? You know, it's interesting you mentioned the Ebola thing because I think actually maybe I've wondered if maybe there is an amplification now of with the speed with which some of these things happen and that maybe with greater speed and ability to sort of spread out further, that they actually changed the character of it. And so that a nativist backlash in 2015 might not even be the same that it might have been in, like, say, 1992 or something like that. I actually don't know the answer to that. Like, I've I've thought about it quite a bit, and, you know, I I hate when people sort of just say, okay, obviously because of the Internet, you know, and that's it. That's the explanation yeah. for everything because it doesn't seem to fit it's a here. Childish Gambino album. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But I don't. I can't tell if it's any different. To me, it mm-hmm. feels. I agree with you in a lot of ways, or it feels very similar. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think that it's happened in like four days, and then everybody has a stance about. It. Like you said, half of, more than half the governors are coming out on the record and saying this, and that feels right. very fast to me. Yeah. And uh, I do think that with speed that actually the character of it probably does change. But I, I just don't know if we can really qualitatively say if it's changed because of you know the way that we communicate now. And, you know, when you talk about nativists, like you're second-generation American like I am. Yeah. I've always been made to feel like I'm an outsider, like I'm not from here. So yeah. I don't know what the term, I don't understand the term nativism and who gets to do it and who doesn't get to do it. Um, Anyone who's been here long enough to forget that they came and, from somewhere else. That's who gets That's to do it. That's just a dumb... I mean, <laughs> I know people that have been white for many... Gen- whose families have been white for many generations, but they I have a very good friend, actually, who could trace his ancestry back to the Mayflower. Because does he have the right to call himself a nativist? Because he's also proud to be American. But then you have people that are, like, of color or non-white people who have been here for many, 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 many generations, and they're told to go back home to Mexico or where they come from. And they've been here since before the border was put, like, was slapped down by freedom-loving white people. Mm-hmm. So, um... And the whole idea of xenophobia doesn't make any sense to me either because I'm a second generation and it just doesn't feel natural. And if if we're supposed to look at America as like this melting pot or land where that accepts all these people fleeing persecution, Mm -hmm. wouldn't why wouldn't we accept Syrian refugees? To me, that is that answer is like flagrantly visible in the Donald Trump campaign. You know, he has maintained his lead forever. He is the ugliest campaigner for president we've had in 
of maybe a few generations of politicians, like Pat Robertson maybe, and he didn't get that far. You know, like even his own party was like, yeah, okay, David Duke. You know, like it's been a long time, but he has stirred the pot to prepare us for this moment in the worst possible way. We're like, we'll build a beautiful wall and it'll have a beautiful doorway and the rapist and all this stuff that he's been spewing. Now it's paying off. Like now we're basically getting our return on this shitty political investment we've made and that the Republican Party and Fox News and every media outlet that cuts live to all of his press events and no one else's. Like nobody cuts to a Bernie Sanders rally live. Nobody cuts to even Ben Carson. Like only Donald Trump is the one we've been celebrating even in our mockery. So I don't know, like he is a, a signal of part of which changed Jay to me. And everybody's just afraid. And just really afraid. And you also got this culture which paints the president as like a traitor because he's somehow not keeping us safe. In and a, a way Muslim, that, therefore yeah, a terrorist. That can never, like, right? It's we've ridiculous. All DCs, like the, yeah. the guy who challenged, like, here's the ultimate nativist, you know, bullshit. Trump is the guy. He is the guy who was like the poster child for the birther movement. He had beautiful, smart people who were going to go down to Hawaii and prove that this U.S. president wasn't a U.S. citizen. And he never did, and no one gave a shit, because now he's number one in the polls. So we kind of reap what we sowed here, and that explains a, a ton of it to me. It's not to put it all on him, but like he is a, he's a vehicle for all of our dumbness. So, so you think that if, if, like, if Trump, if this rhetoric hadn't been floating around, not, not floating around, but just sort of mm-hmm. stuffed in our faces for the past months, the quick response to Paris would not have been this sort of, it would have been amplified in this sort of I way. I think, so let's say that our reaction to Paris is like a 92 uh-huh. on the like overreach in this direction reason. I think without Trump, it might be like a 79. Like it okay. still would have been yeah, mad yeah, high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a great he, piece. He created more political yeah. space yeah. for bullshit. And, and this goes to sort of my original question. There's a great piece in the Washington Post saying America has never Welcome to the unhuddled masses. <laughs> when the Hungarian refugees were coming in 56, there were going to be communist spies infiltrating. Yeah. When the Jewish refugees were coming in, in Germany in the 1940s, there might be Nazi spies well, they, coming they with They weren't them. concerned this about is... Nazis then, but they did not want these Jews here. Well, no, but sure. the, anti-Semitism was the real cause. Yeah. But the pretext was people said there might be Nazi spies. Yeah. As an excuse, whereas uh, Islamophobia is the real reason and the there might be ISIS terrorists mm-hmm. is the pretext, right? So... This argument of there might be bad people, there might be rotten apples, there might be spies, is just we're playing it on repeat. Yeah, yeah. It's not new. It's just the the, the cast of characters. It's one of our changed. greatest hits. But I, yeah, and I think Raquel made the point of who gets to call themselves a nativist, and I yeah. think that's what really gets to it is because the American identity is so fluid and insecure. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. what lends us to a specific kind of knee-jerk xenophobia that is not un-American. It is unique it's to the American, American character. Yeah. Whereas, I just got here two generations ago. I've been here long enough that you know I can forget that my grandparents came from somewhere else or whatever. And I just got established and got my feet set. And now there's more people coming in. Mm-hmm. I just figured out what I my place in America. And now someone else is going to come along and shift that. Yeah. And so that's where the insecurity comes from. And that is to my point of like, you're saying we should treat it with numbers and sober analysis and say, look, here are the facts. I look at it as like alcoholism, right? If I'm a chronic alcoholic, okay, if I have a relapse, I'm not going to panic and, you know, beat myself up from all my moral failings. I can say, oh, I had a relapse. I need to do A, B, and C, right? So, so it, it's a chronic condition that is unique to America. Yeah. So the attitude of saying, uh, look at the Statue of Liberty, you're wrong and you're racist, is less useful than, look, look, here are the numbers. We're having a relapse again. 
we need to get our shit together. There's two other pieces that I thought of. One is that insecure American identity. I like that phrase. And when you add the economic insecurity under it, part of the success of Trump scapegoating and the whole right wing right now is like they're coming to take our jobs. Like Mexican immigration is net negative at this point. So like that's not true. We've deported everybody. There's no fucking nobody left. Mm -hmm. And they're not even trying to come here anymore because we've clearly made it clear that we don't want you here. So so that's uh, one thing. And I forgot my second point. Raquel, you were about to say something. We should we should have an, an episode down the line where mm -hmm. we just define America. From nope. our point of view, because in order for us to be able to like have, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, it's it's completely what you're saying. I totally understand and agree with. But it's out of context for me because it's like, OK, I know my community, for example, Dominican-Americans are not, are not worried about people from, you know, Korea coming in and taking their jobs. They're worried about mm -hmm. like putting their kids to school or, or paying rent. So I think that maybe it's like a mainstream American and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm just using mainstream, but really a white, white yeah. American and, and conservative black American mm. point of view and alarmist kind of vibe. And I, you know, and I do see that Fox is not even the most alarming, like alarmist news channel anymore. I've been seeing more and more of that Islamophobia on CNN. So I feel like at this point, Trump brings, you know, gives you ratings Islamophobia gives you ratings. It's like we're turning, even in the in media, we could see it in mainstream media, more conservative. This is like com completely confusing to me because I'm now having to spend a lot of time thinking about what it means to be American. And what my ideal is, is probably closer, maybe, I'm assuming since you're second gen like me, closer to what we may have the same more or less ideas than somebody who's been here who's forgotten where, he's, where his people have come from, like Tanner. Uh, my people come from Louisiana and Texas. Thank you very much. <laughs> Where well, Tanner Cole Bizinski's folks come from. <laughs> yeah, because uh, to forget, you have to be white, right? Like, that's yeah. the only way you... Like, they're... Or Bobby Jindal. <laughs> or Bobby... Oh. <laughs> actually, that was one of Harry's... Uh, Har I'm sorry, Harry's, That was one of his better jo uh, best jokes recently. I saw. I was like, this is the second time uh, Bobby Jindal has quit, quit a race. race. I was like, wow. Oh, I wait a minute. Who said that? Harry kind Harry of kind of Oh, yeah. that's sick. Yeah. When, I was like, wow, that is Ooh, really rough. Oh, that's sick. Um... I don't. I think that if it doesn't even take two generations, if you're white, to forget where you came, you know, maybe it just takes one or half of one, even, you know. Like I think yeah, that I mean, your parents could probably speak English much worse than my parents can, and if you're white, then you can still feel a sense of of what you're talking about and nativism. Right. But if you're George Takei and you actually were in the internment camps, like you're never going to be able to participate in any sort of nativist backlash without feeling ridiculous or absurd. Even if you have a last name that is, like, from Spanish origins, you can look about as white as you can, but, you know, at some point someone's going to question you about it. And, you know, I, I think that, that it's just, like, when you define it, it's just, like, it really is just white people who can participate in this sort of stuff. And plus, you know, what have you come from, like, Eastern Europe? This is not the same. Like, for example, there was a study published in a book called Inheriting the City, which is, like, really, really dope. And they studied my generation and, like, young, maybe 80s and some 90s kids that were growing up that were Puerto Rican, Black American, Dominican American, and Eastern European. And they found out the people that were Eastern European, I think in Coney Island or in that area, when they first came, were going on welfare the same, like, in the same, yeah. kind of like all everybody else. But there was less stigmatization of that so they were able to get off of it, not, you know, feel like humiliated, which is which is really at the bottom, at the root of all this evil is humiliation and marginalization. So they're able to become part of the fabric. And also you become white after a while. Right. 
and becoming white is like a lot of you get a lot of like you get a fucking dope VIP bag like a really sick <laughs> you get so much shit so then side entrance to the yeah, club exactly yeah. you Bottom and I service. can have great 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 grandchildren and somebody's always gonna ask them where are you from yeah it's like yeah. you know what I mean community means something different yeah. for sure the uh, the other twist on this I remember my second point which is on the on the ISIS side of things that one of the articles you shared, Tanner, or, or Cody shared, this is playing into their hands. And I, I read a really long, long article from The Atlantic about just what ISIS is and, like, what do they want and what are they grounding their ideology in? And this is very specific and very literal interpretation of the Quran in a way that it's, that's fundamentalist, to, to refer to our B-side in the discussion there with you, Tanner, that they are so literal in this interpretation and, and partly they need to hold land and partly like all these Syrians fleeing is not a good look for like the ISIS way where they're supposed to be having free education and health care and gold coins for everybody and justice and also maybe a few beheadings but only if you did something wrong if you don't do anything wrong it's like what do you got to be afraid of it's like our spying program like why won't you let me look at your iPhone if you're a good citizen so this is for them to be able to just press record on any one of our major broadcast networks and see a, a U.S. senator demanding tracking or a governor demanding labeling or camps, like that is great propaganda for this group, which wants to paint this religious apocalyptic holy war with like Rome in quotes, which we happen to be representing right now. So well done, uh, cyclical American nativists. But you know what they're doing. Were you going to say something? I'm sorry, no, no, Tana. Okay, okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you going to say something? No. Okay. I was listening to Democracy Now! And Amy Goodman was talking to Abdel Bariatwan, who's interviewed Osama bin Laden twice mm. and has written a lot extensively for decades and about the And he didn't the stab him during the interview? <laughs> <laughs> the no. second time is when you stab no. him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like, is there going to be a third time? He's like, no, I'm nobody's sorry. nobody's hero. He just wants to report. But, you know... Something that he said was illuminating to me because I, it always occurred to me, I spent a lot of time in Sierra Leone, I was okay. working on a, on a film, and w there wasn't any military occupation, but one of the things they had was like really fucked up, embarrassing government. And, you know, you have people that are idle, that feel humiliated yeah. after that war, that, you know, are unemployed and all of these kind of feelings festering. And I, would, I remember meeting a lot of young men who wanted to go back in. It wasn't like this place where every all of a sudden there's no more blood diamonds and mm -hmm. people wanted to, you know, sing Kubaya. There were people that are like, look, I traded in my arms for a toolkit to fix cars. They stole my toolkit and they basically emasculated, you know, I heard the story again, over yeah. and over again, emasculated me. What am I going to do now? Angry. I'll, I'll go back. I'm like, would you go back? to fight. He goes, yeah, why not? People feel humiliated. And then what ISIS is doing is by creating this kind of hysteria, they're humiliating refugees and they're forcing them to want to come back. And you have angry people that are going to go back to Syria or, go, or if you see in Iraq and all these other places that we have intervened, see how we've blown back their countries. We've dismembered them. Yeah. They're humiliated because we want to take them in. What are you doing? You're creating a whole generation of people who don't like us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you guys have anything to say on this subject, it's going to be a little tricky. Uh, <laughs> we still welcome your comments, but we will be taking a bit of a holiday uh, hiatus. And we hope you use it as an opportunity to catch up on all of our podcasts and have those racial conversations yourself. So don't be disappointed. See it as a positive opportunity. That's a different way of exiting a story than we're used to doing. But it's our first time taking any kind of pause from this conversation. All right, y'all, we're going to take a break to hear from one of our beloved sponsors. We'll be right back, but don't you go anywhere. This is really important. This is how we pay for the mics and stuff. 
Every weeknight, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow breaks down the big headlines for the local threads that tie them all together. Sure, that's a lot of searching and it takes a lot of work. But even in a country this big, there are no local stories. Your life and what you see from your front porch is directly connected to the national news. Watch Rachel as she connects the dots and covers America's news, one story at a time. It's The Rachel Maddow Show, weeknights at 9 Eastern, only on MSNBC. And we're back uh, to talk about a television show, I think. Raquel, what's going on? So uh, Fresh Off the Boat has docked for another season. Mindy Kaling has been resurrected on Hulu. Dr. Ben premiered the season on ABC, as did Quantico. And Parks and Recreation's Aziz Ansari, along with co-creator Alan Yang, has brought Master of None, which you want to dive into today, to Netflix or your TVs, or I don't yeah, know how you watch it. Okay. Netflix, you pay us. All right, Netflix, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag pay us Netflix, please. Please. So are Asian Americans experiencing a melting of the cultural ice caps in Hollywood, or are we trapped in a whitewash cycle? And we all look to JK. Oh. You. So you speak for everybody I know, today. I was about to say, wow, I better say something good. The fact that, that there are four shows right now is inconceivable to me. Mm -hmm. I'm old enough that I remember Margaret Cho's show, All-American Girl. I was very young, but I was had memory. I remember my mom was pretty disappointed in it. Uh, I think most Asian people were disappointed, not because of anything Margaret Cho did or any of the show, but it was just such an odd time. And it was just like, it's like one of those things where you look at a history and then, and then you just see this one thing and you're like, this explain this to me, you know, like, I don't understand how this got here. Uh, I think it just sort of had a lot of that pressure on it. And so for there to be four shows now, it's actually kind of odd, you know, and I'm glad that takes a lot of the pressure off of, I think, people who are creating shows or who are trying to make whatever it is, whether it's like a podcast or like a video series, web video series or something like that, to be representational in, in any sort of way. Like, I think that, uh, you know, I guess the one thing that does interest me about this Master of None show is that it actually does seem to want to talk about broad issues about race and representation. But it's interesting because it didn't actually have to. You know, like Aziz is famous enough. Like Alan Yang has worked on enough TV shows. They have enough juice in the industry where they don't need to come up and be like, here is my story of, and here are my immigrant parents. And, you know, like, and I'm going to present myself to you, like, you know, like ripping their guts. Like, they didn't need to do that type of show. They could have just done a very traditional show. Yeah, it could have and been yet, about dating, period. Yeah, it like could have. Tinder jokes. It could have been completely like Tinder and Martinelli jokes. And, <laughs> you know, like people would have liked it. And they took a big risk in that sort of way, I think. And that, that was the most interesting thing to me watching the show was that, like, these dudes have long histories in this industry. They're successful guys, and they decided to make this show, and I think that in itself was, like, pretty courageous on that their part, because they could have really just made a, they could have made it not about, specifically about representation and race. Yeah. You know, um, I totally identify with it, despite there not being one single Latino or Latina character, not even as a, an extra on wow. the show. Wow, yeah, yeah. I, I... But I'm in second gen, so... How do you think he, as being in the other second gen on the panel, how do you think like he skated that line between comedy and caricature? I don't. I think that the. It, I think at times maybe it did. It didn't quite get to outside of caricature for me at least. Like at times it did feel like it was a bit stiff, and I I was trying to think about why I felt that way. And I I'm a fan of both their work before. You know, like Alan did, I think worked on. Parks and Rec for a while. I like that show. And as he's, I've always, you know, since Randy, I, I've liked, you know, <laughs> so, um, 
it is very difficult to sort of present this sort of, this is like how my family grew up. Most of the audience is not going to be too familiar with it, but there's a lot of people who are going to be familiar with it. And I, I go through the same sort of pressure, I think, a lot of times writing for the Times where, you know, like, there is a pressure. Like, think of the Times reader as something that I hear a lot. And they're like, listen, I don't know who the Times reader is, you know? And they're like, well, it's like... Somebody a, on Twitter. Yeah, it's like a 59-year-old person who is, like, on a elliptical at the gym in the Upper West Side or something like yeah. that. And I'm like, all right, well, I have to explain some things. There t- and I don't know how you felt. Great but future I'd... for the New York Times if it's like that. Because <laughs> they actually tell me not to think about... The, I just write. Really? I don't ever think about the reader. I, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I do think about the reader, but I think you have to think about challenging people to if you're ha- going to have yeah. real estate. Uh, exactly. This, this idea of challenging people, right? Like, So you need to engage them in some sort of way that they understand. And I think that uh, for somebody like myself... That sort of stuff feels like, oh, well, this is obvious. Why are you stating it this sort of way? But I think for much of the viewing audience, it probably was, I think they received it a lot differently and that they might have needed that, like, sort of throat clearing or whatever. I, I don't know if this is making sense. So, so you said caricature. Like, do you think, do you, and do, do you guys find, like, his parents and you two, all, all of us, let's weigh in here, are his parents, who he, ca- he actually casted his real parents. Do you find them caricaturistic? I don't really. No, no, I think caricature is the wrong word. I, what I was talking about more was just sort of like that, you know, like how people sort of began to make fun of boys in the hood and they're like, oh, at the end, you know, like, this is the theme, <laughs> this is the idea, this is the takeaway. That's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I felt that sometimes at the beginning of Master of None, I guess it is what I was trying to say. Like, I felt like there were times when I was very specifically being asked to think about, like, experiences of immigrants. And for me, it's just like, you know, it's my nature. And so I, I didn't need that. But then, I don't know, for other people, maybe it was necessary. And so... I, it's you didn't feel like the a, pressure to have to just look at it through the, guy, through the, through the prism of a, of a second gen. You just wanted to watch a great sitcom. Is that what yeah, you're with like Asian parents and like you know, like with a realistic representation of what life is like. One of my favorite jokes is like when he's walking with his friend. His friend, he's like, "What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go sit in the park and look at NBA trade rumors on my phone." <laughs> and that was funny because it's like not something you expect like an Asian guy on TV to say, mm-hmm. but it's totally true to my experience, you know, and people that I know. And so most Asians actually do that. Yeah, almost all, actually all okay. Asians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. I'll speak for all of them. generalization. In, like in the park, that's, yeah. that's what makes it Asian. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So is it racist that we asked you to come on here to talk about uh, Master no, of None? No, we at, actually we asked Jay to come on <laughs> independent of topic, and then we picked this topic because he was here. No, you that's inspired good. the topic, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> subconscious racism. I mean, it's, right. it's a tricky I did disease, like that. Did, no, you, I, did you assume that I had seen it because I had not seen it until last night when I was like, right. oh, man, I got to watch it. I binge watch it. I didn't watch it either. So Tanner put me I, on to no, I, I see part, part of the reason I wanted to do it is one of the first things we discussed was Fresh Off the Boat, and I thought I thought this was an interesting bookend to that discussion, and I think this this tackles it much, much better. That show, I felt like they just put a big stamp on their forehead with, like, the name of the show, and, like, mm. this is going to be about being an immigrant. God damn it. <laughs> and this show, it's, hey, it's about a 30-something guy in New York. He dates. He deals with struggles of racism in the entertainment industry. He deals with his parents being immigrants. He deals with not being able to get reservation at a restaurant whatever it's it's just a show about a guy and then like the race and the immigrant is is, is woven in as opposed to and and i think being on netflix as opposed to being on network tv allows a little more subtlety to to the message now uh, speaking of like dating and all that like what what's up with like 
I mean, this is a conversation I've, I've had at, you know, with friends now that I've watched it and I'm calling everybody to get their like opinion. And also I've read criticism with, you know, all of his love interests. Devs that, yeah. is they're, they're, he's, they're white. He's, he's, he's answered this. He's already put out a statement about it. Okay, but let's talk about it here and see if we agree or don't agree. What well, did he say? He, oh, he, he, said he cast Claire Danes in, in the one part because they're friends and they yeah. wanted to work together. They auditioned a whole range of actresses of many race for the main girlfriend. And she was the best one. Mm. And future seasons will address different things. And I think this comes to... And we face criticism on the... You cannot win the representation game. On the one hand, of course, it shouldn't be all old white guys. But on the other hand, once you start trying to quantify the representation game, you can't win. But you know you, what? It's always... But if you look, Mindy Kaling, white love interest. I haven't seen all of them, but I have watched sporadically. Eddie Huang's, like, all his crushes are, like, you know, white girls. You see, like, and it's not only on Master of None. It's just, like, in general with, you know, when I see East Asian or Asian-American characters, Walking Dead, I my stopped, husband is I obsessed with it. it. I couldn't keep up. The Asian guy in that. Zombies. Yeah, it's, like, too many zombies. Like, like, I get I just, it. It's, like, zombies. It's, like, already get it. Yeah. Damn it. Like, zombie <laughs> apocalypse. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's just, like, a theme, like, a running theme. But then you you don't really see it a lot when it comes to, like, either Latino, which we're barely represented on TV anyway, but, like, Latino or black American counterparts. You don't really see it a lot, but it's such a like a what's up with that? Like, is that a is that an accurate representation? Speak for every Asian person, please. Jay. <laughs> I read the same article. I think it was in paper or something like that. Right. Like where the woman was. Uh, I think her name was Sandra Song or something wrote about this. Oh, Sonia Song. So, I know oh, her last name is Song, where she wrote about this one issue on the show. And I would say within that specific group that they're talking about, which is like well-educated guys, you know, hang out with a lot of people of different races are not f- from, like, one intense immigrant enclave and only hang out with the people from that ethnicity. I don't think it's unrealistic or anything like that at all. Like, I actually think that it probably... They didn't think about it because both... Because the show's creators probably probably dated white women. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's not a... It, I don't think it was a conscious thing. Mm-hmm. I think that they probably... I mean, I did see that part of Assisi's response was, like, you know, he did the, like, well, we just picked the best, most qualified or the best actresses. That felt a bit glib to me because it is a show about representation, so to sort of default to that line seemed odd to me. But mm-hmm. I, I, it didn't occur to me while I was watching, and then I was texting with my friend, and she was like, oh, yeah, I thought about that. And she's, like, she's like an Asian woman. And so I think that maybe I just right. had blinders on because I'm, like, a, my w- wife is white, and I'm, like, from the same demographic that the show is represented so like but i was like, know, yeah, of course you know his girlfriend's also an archetype she's zoe deschanel like it's like the same kind of aloof yeah she used like to pl- she used to even... play De- zoe deschanel on snl like, really yeah yeah yeah. she oh became like she did the she had a uh, the zoe deschanel show yeah yeah. Oh, I had no idea. yeah she I also played her. lena dunham on snl for like a season oh my yeah, god yeah. i i've only so seen weird. the first five i was actually part of the reasons i was late to this taping is because i was Still watching more show. <laughs> Damn it, Ben. It was really good. So th- thanks for the great homework assignment, uh, Tanner and Raquel. I, on the idea of uh, caricature, et cetera, or access, you know, Jay, you talked about like maybe some people needed some of that. I have tons of immigrant friends, and I even feel like my mom was an immigrant in a way, even though she was definitely born here, because she went so against type, mm-hmm. and she like mm-hmm. stressed education so much, and like we ate different foods from everybody else, and we're like this weird family, even within the black neighborhood that we grew up in. But I, I've loved the way they treated it. I, def, I never felt like anybody was putting on yellow face or brown face to represent folks. If anything, like his stance about not saying an accent in an audition, to me, captured 
the tiny little compromises. Like his, his, he had this great conversation with Busta Rhymes <laughs> about, no, don't play the race card, Busta says to him charge it to the race car yes that was my favorite and like, line get your money you know and, and his agents like we're trying to get that swimmer money you know when he has a chance at this big friends size uh sitcom deal that could be tens of millions of dollars and so when you initiate a journey with the intention of repping your people and being with justice in the forefront and then you have an opportunity for like private gain what do you do like that is really a beautifully tense and real moment of the show that I haven't seen represented most anywhere else. Like yeah. a few tell-all articles or podcasts do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But TV, talking about what TV does to corrupt your political and social value system, that was that was unexpected. I thought that was really beautiful. I've never seen Dr. Ken. Me neither. Have you guys, any of you seen Dr. Ken? It's supposed to be uh, mediocre. Yeah, so is there ever going to be a time when it's okay to have like good shit, bad shit? Yeah, like, that's interesting because all kind of you know, like you know complexity. White people have the, the have the leverage to to. Oh, they got Duck have, Dynasty they and got they Duck got Dynasty, like True yeah. Detective season one. Exactly. You know, like, that's no, a exactly. Wide range. And that's True a Detective range. season two. Right. Don't forget. And, and you late got night. Out season one. We got to own that. Late night. Just I can go on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So, do you think that it's ever going to be a time when it's okay when you don't have to feel the pressure <laughs> of representing, like repping everybody? I hope so. And I did see that some of the response to Master of None, there was a sort of small current being of people like, well, if I don't like the show, can I just say that I don't like yeah. the show? And in some ways, I am happy that that has happened because Asian people have never been included in that calculus, you know, like ever. It's always just like, well, whatever, who cares, you know? Like you can almost always shit on Asian people still now. And so for there to be even any tension about it, I was like, good. You know, something happened. Like somebody, somebody like stood up, and that I was happy about that. And then, part of me, you know, because before I was like a mag journalist, I was a novelist, and so like the creative part of me is really upset by this because you know I feel like I should just be able to say whatever I want, and a piece of art sucks, and it sucks. I actually I liked Master of None. The reason why I thought about this was because when I first heard the Hamilton soundtrack, I was like, this is not good. Mm. And then <laughs> and then I felt this, you know, then I just said it online, and then I realized, People I was like, oh, down, no, holy hell this you. was yeah. a big mistake. I guess I can't <laughs> dislike Hamilton. Um, it's like self-hating racism to dislike Hamilton, <laughs> yeah. according to the official rules there of engagement. Lot, there's a lot there of are there. racial yeah. rules of engagement. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I don't. I usually know them, and I don't know how I had such a big blind spot, but I was, like, driving my car. I was like, okay, I'll play this. And I was like, oh, my God, this is. I, it was not working for me. And then, Look, it, uh, <laughs> it, it, it can change. Bill Cosby used to be an unassailable hero in the black community. Ben Carson used to be an unassailable yeah, hero true. in the black community. Yeah. Shit shifts. You know? so. And I even came out as somebody who absolutely deplores In the Heights. Uh-huh. That show His was first just, one. It, was, it was really difficult to, uh, to sit through without See, like we're just breaking all the rules yeah guys. so did you, I mean, did, you, did you have you seen Hamilton I haven't seen it yet but I'm dying How to, does, I do hear it's you really, say it really like dope. it's possible yeah I love I love like the the assumption that we can that one can see one does not simply see Hamilton right. Jake. Like, have you walked <laughs> like yeah. the tickets are like twelve that's hundred dollars like oh if you saw it live and I was like I'm not gonna go see it live I'm sorry you know unless you want to pay for me to go see it and write about this yeah yeah then I, I'm not gonna because I'm, wait, to I'm waiting for it on I'm HBO. not paying like eight hundred dollars <laughs> yeah. or five hundred dollars right. to go sit and yeah. see like a soundtrack that I was like ah this is not for me and they're like no you have to pay five hundred more dollars and listen to the same songs live you and then need to do it, like you know when like Bernie Sanders is doing these big events when Obama's doing these big events you just get a bigger venue when your show's that hot 
you just put it in Madison Square Garden, all right? And then we could all get a shot at paying like $300 right, to see exactly. Hamilton. Yeah, so that's going to be a wrap on the Master of None conversation. Thank you, Raquel, for leading us in that discussion. Everybody just watch the show. It actually is worth watching. And I think you'll find our discussion of it different from our discussion of Fresh Off the Boat. Go find that episode. Now for our famed uh, world-renowned segment called Yo! Check This Out, where we hear from our co-discussants what form of media. Is it a book? Is it a play? Is it just a new idea that you have encountered that you think our audience would appreciate? I'm going to just go around the circles. Tanner Colby, what do you want us to check out? We all know that President Obama gave this masterful press conference in Turkey where he dismissed folks who want to pop off about ISIS and terrorism and so on and so forth. And someone has magically and wonderfully, through the beauty of the Internet, made a remix of his pop-off comments into a wonderful song. I can play a little bit of it for you now, and we'll put a link of it in the show page for you to listen to, but but here it is. <laughs> Our president, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Raquel, what do you yes. have to share with the, with the family meal here? We'll have two luck. things. I have an article in the New Statesman that was published in November of 2014, but I think is really, really good by Karen Armstrong, and it's called Wahhabism to ISIS, mm. How Saudi Arabia Exported the Main Source of Global Terrorism. It's a great long read and a nice primer as to why we're still cool and in bed with Saudi Arabia. And also, um, there's a Democracy Now! episode that i like to turn everybody on to from November 17th, 2015. And there are two sections in particular that I think are so important to listen to. And that one is the conversation with Abdel Bariatwan called Inside how the U.S. and Saudi Arabia aided the growth of the Islamic State, mm. and also a conversation, a very brave conversation, with uh, Naomi Gonzalez's uh, cousin, Miriam Padilla, uh, the young lady that was killed in, I believe, a restaurant in, uh, during the Paris attacks, and um, where she says, attacks on civilians to publicize a political objective is a huge crime against humanity and other really crazy brave shit. So those are two really particularly amazing conversations that Amy Goodman had on the show. Thank you. Hashtag crazy brave shit. Yeah. Jay, what you got? The Brooklyn Nets are really bad, and they've only won one or two games. And tickets at Barclays now on StubHub last time I saw, like, the cheapest tickets were, like, $11. Oh, yeah, that's cheaper so, than a movie. I know. So it's, like, this weird moment now where you can go see another... The, whatever I'm gonna go. I've never been coming to the in. Place, yeah, yeah, for really cheap. I've been sitting on StubHub quite a bit recently. <laughs> I mean, like, all right, if it goes under ten dollars, then I'm gonna go. You know, I like so the <laughs> NBA trade rumors in the yeah, park. Exactly. I am <laughs> saying I'm only here to fulfill new all, all new stereotypes. I'm learning all about Asian American male culture. <laughs> this is this is powerful stuff. I would like to recommend uh, this Atlantic article about ISIS's belief system. I don't have the name of it, but if you just search for The Atlantic and ISIS, it'll pop up in your search engine results. And then a totally non-race-related topic, but very much a relationship-related topic. I have uh, been introduced over the past few months to this relationship psychologist named Esther Perel, P-E-R-E-L. And she has started to get more public about her research. She's been in this game working with couples for a very long time. And the way she talks about relationships romantically, I think, scales beyond to all of our social relationships. And she 
ends up in a lot of rooms filled with movers and shakers and entrepreneurs and activists who get their hustle on hard professionally. And she says, look, you guys give your jobs 100%. And you try to raise the investment money or make the product perfect or change the legislation, whatever you're working on. And then in your relationships, you phone it in. Like you give your partners the leftovers and you show up tired and you don't do nearly the same amount of research or consideration or competitive analysis or what have you for this very important part of your life. So just rethink that balance. And I think, you know, as we look at the relationship between and amongst our cultures and ethnicities and groups in this country and around the world, we could do to not assume that shit will just work out, but that it takes explicit effort. Uh, We are glad to be a part of that effort. And thank you all for bringing such beauty to the table. We need to wrap this up, you guys. And so I know it is sad, but uh, but it's real. So I want to just offer up some thanks uh, to all of y'all here, to our producer, AC Valdez, to our research assistant and tech maven, Cody Carvel. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. You can see its entire roster of captivating, compulsively listenable podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. You can find links to the things we've discussed today on our website, showaboutrace.com. You can follow along with this conversation or join it, and you know we listened to you and played you back to you. Uh, So find us on Facebook or Twitter at Show About Race. You can also email us directly with voice memo attachments, showaboutrace at gmail.com. Now, before we go, we do have some important news. We broke it a little earlier. It's maybe one of the sadder things you're going to hear in this hour of your life. But this is the end of season one of our national conversation about conversations about race. Uh, We said we're not going to stop until racism is over. Racism uh, is going to take a little hiatus while we are not on air. So we're asking the world not to get too crazy. But some of us have to write books, have babies, spend time with our families, not in the way politicians who resign shamefully say, but literally spend time with our families uh, and get our own uh, personal things together. So if you're listening near a computer or via a smartphone, I want you to open up iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or whatever it is you used to hear us and hit the subscribe button. Don't just pass files around. Subscribe. Join the family. We'll give you a second to do it. All right, that should have been enough time. Thank you for hitting the subscribe button. And as soon as we're back in February, you'll be right back with us uh, in our hearts as well as in our minds. In the meantime, thank you all so much for joining our national conversation about conversations about race. On behalf of Jay Kang, Raquel Cepeda, Tanner Colby, I'm Baratunde Thurston, and you better believe it, we really won't stop until racism is over. It's quite a commitment. We're just going to take a nap. It's a bit ridiculous. It's a a bit long ridiculous. one. I've got to rethink the terms of, and conditions of this podcast deal. 